Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Michael Greger, who is a New York Times bestselling author and internationally recognized professional speaker on a number of important public health issues. Dr. Greger is a proponent of a plant-based diet, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about how he uses food as medicine. You can find him on Instagram at MichaelGregorMD. Dr. Michael Greger, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. I am happy to be here. Dude, we have talked to all kinds of people that advocate for all kinds of diets, and I have been asked over and over and over again to talk to somebody about somebody who knows what they're talking about, who advocates for a plant-based diet. So I'm so thankful to talk to you. Let's do this. What is the deal? What's the deal with plant-based? Because... I don't know. I, 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 you know, listen, the, I have a good friend who, who's a director who's vegan, but he's vegan, I think, mostly because his kid wanted him to go vegan, and then he lost weight, and he's happy with that. Um, and I've talked to other people who have had success, but I haven't talked to anybody who said, like, here are the reasons why it's good with, with any kind of data that convinced me. Mm. All right. Well, look, besides being, you know, uh, safe, sustainable, nutritious and healthy, um, there are uh, 17 criteria I found for weight loss efficacy. So this is in my book, How Not to Diet, um, all proceeds uh, uh, for which uh, donated the charity. Um, uh, for example, the optimal weight loss diet should be anti-inflammatory, uh, clean, free from hormone disrupting chemicals, full fiber rich foods to trap calories, flush them out of your body on down the list. Basically, it comes down to eating real food that grows out of the ground, a diet centered around whole plant foods. Turns out the single healthiest diet also appears to be the most effective for weight loss. If you look at the medical literature, the peer-reviewed medical literature, that's kind of the gold standard in terms of uh, answering uh, scientific questions. The single diet that beat out every other diet to date that didn't restrict calories or, or enforce exercise, more weight was lost on a whole food plant-based diet than any other diet studied in history. And it also just so happens to be the only diet ever proven to reverse heart disease, the number one killer of men and women. I mean, if that's all a plant-based diet could do, reverse the number one killer um, but then, like, shouldn't that kind of be the default diet to prove another one? Okay, let me ask you this. Does does plant-based mean everything comes from plants or the majority of things come from plants? That's a fantastic question. Look, it, it does not matter what you eat on your birthday or holidays or special occasions. It's really the day-to-day -day stuff that adds up. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, we really should try to center our diets around the healthiest foods out there. And that is... You know, fruits, vegetables, legumes, which are beans, split peas, chickpeas, and lentils, whole grains, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices. Again, you know, from fields, not factories. These are the healthiest choices. So we're talking plant-centered, plant-based, centering your diets around plants. I mean, you can be on some vegan diet. I mean, people, uh, you know, for, for like animal protection reasons or for climate reasons or for whatever kind of ideological, there's some religious reasons. They go on a vegan diet, cut out animal products. 
could be a horrible diet, right? Coca-Cola is vegan, French fries, potato <laughs> chips, some of the worst foods. I mean, there's tubs of frosting, totally vegan. Yeah. But, but I mean, these are like, you know, probably the, the unhealthiest thing in our food supply was Crisco, which was basically pure trans fats, partially hydrogenated uh, vegetable oil. Uh, even had vegetable right there in the title, but one of the most toxic possible things to put in your mouth. Now it's illegal. Now we can't have added trans fats added to the, but that just goes to show vegan. I mean, as a physician, that just tells me what you don't eat, right? It's very, it doesn't give me a lot of information. Where someone comes to me, that's why I prefer this kind of whole food plant based diet. Then someone says, oh, you know, I'm eating plant based. Oh, Oh, you actually eat vegetables. Oh, you actually, it gives me, you know, you're actually eating something rather than just telling me what you don't eat. So you can do the miserable, unhealthy, um, uh, vegan diet. Um, so it really is less kind of a vegetarian diet, more like a vegetabilitarian diet. We want to eat the healthiest foods and put ideology aside. Yeah, I think I've, I've definitely fallen into that trap of like, I'll go, I'm going to have a vegetarian meal and my go-to is this place Veggie Grill and it's delicious but it's it's vegan food modeled after fast food so it's sure. breaded chicken sandwiches that have no chicken in them and cheeseburgers and stuff like this um and I never have come away from that going like well I feel much better now <laughs> Now I mean Technically, better, yes. So less saturated fat, no cholesterol, okay. But healthy? Nah, it's not healthy, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it's a spectrum. You know, I mean, whenever you say, is X healthy, right? Or, or uh, you know, are eggs healthy? Is fish healthy? The question always has to follow up. Be, well, wait a second, compared to what, right? Food is a zero-sum game, right? Every time we put something in our mouth, it's a lost opportunity to put something healthier in our mouth. Um, and so it's like, well, compared to what? So are eggs healthy? Well, compared to breakfast sausage, right? <laughs> compared to processed meat, we, absolutely, right? But compared to oatmeal, not even close. So it's like, well, what are you going to have instead of that? Um, and so, look, if you if you are going to have a fast food meal, it's like I want some deep fried whatever, right? Okay, that's actually a healthier choice. Right. Going to Veggie Grill. Um, but, um, you know, that those are some very narrow choices there. And hopefully, um, uh, you know, we want people to continue moving down the path towards it. I mean, I think it's great that people can walk into a place like Burger King or something um, and get a, a, a veggie burger now. Um, but, um, uh, you know, and so that, you know, adds to the convenience. But we really should try to keep moving down from less processed food um, from a human health standpoint. Yeah, you can argue, oh, it's, you know, these foods are great for in terms of greenhouse gases and they don't hurt animals and all these other things. But from a human health standpoint, from kind of a selfish standpoint, um, we really should try to kind of eat foods as grown, kind of as they come out of the ground. Um, those really are our healthiest choices. But again, it's a spectrum. Um, and we just kind of each try to, you know, move in that direction. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Look, for, for me, initially, when I, I, I was 550 pounds and my – Jesus. Yeah. My, I wasn't really, to be honest with you, thinking about health. I was thinking more about discomfort and it, weight loss so that I could be more 
so that I could participate in aspects of life that I was having trouble participating in. These were, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, I didn't want to have to worry that I was going to break every chair that I sat down on. Like that right. was truly, oh a, that was a concern, right. you know? So, and I just want to capture as many people I can with certain ideas. And if health isn't the kind of ultimate goal somebody has, because I think these goals can change, ebb and flow, and maybe one day health will be somebody's goal. Like right now, that is certainly a part of my goal structure, health. But if we're just talking about straight up weight loss, you're saying that it's the best for that also? It's the best for that and for permanent weight loss. I mean, like diets don't work by definition because going on a diet implies at some point you're going to be going off a diet. You know, permanent weight loss requires permanent dietary change. Healthier habits just have to become a way of life. And it's going to be lifelong. You want to lead to a long life. And thankfully, the single best diet, proven for weight loss, uh, you know, is also the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life. And it's sustainable because of the way it makes people feel. A key difference between plant-based nutrition and more traditional approaches to weight loss is that people are encouraged to eat what's called ad libitum, which means basically eat as much as you want, right? No calorie counting, no portion control, just eating. The, the strategy is to improve the quality of food rather than restricting the quantity of food. So then it doesn't leave you hungry, right? Instead, you get the, the kind of boost of energy and better digestion, better sleep. Uh, but you don't know how good you're going to feel until you give it a try. And that's really what I encourage people to do. Um, and then those short-term benefits in terms of feeling good in the next few weeks will give you that kind of feedback. It's no longer a doctor wagging their finger in their face. You have that internal motivation to stick with it to accrue the really important benefits, which is the reduction in chronic disease risk later on. Okay, so it's like a multi-part thing. Absolutely, and that's why I, for my patients, I, I say, look, let's, uh, let's try this as an experiment. Let's uh, give me three weeks, you know, because no one, I mean, people just cannot imagine a life without, you know, pepperoni pizza or whatever, right? And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Just three weeks. Like, look, you can eat anything for three weeks. In fact, you can eat nothing for three weeks. Um, so I say, look, give me two of these, let's you, 21 days, and I have the benefit of being able to take labs before and after so we can actually show some kind of objective measurements. Um, but, uh, but you don't even need any of that lab work to see, you know, the drop in cholesterol and blood pressure and inflammation and things like that. You, you, your own body within three weeks should really tell you. And, you know, a lot of people are like, look, I feel perfectly fine. Um, you know, what's the benefit? But then three weeks later, they're like, oh my God, you know, I thought, I mean, I, I, little did I know I had chronic indigestion. I just thought that's how you felt. You always felt crappy after a meal, but no, oh my God, I don't actually have to feel that way. I'm sleeping better. Um, more energy, less painful periods, whatever it is. Um, And then again, uh, you know, you have that internal motivation. And even if you then choose to go back to your kind of regular eating habits, you know, in the back of your mind, you can do it. You know how much better you felt and you can actually pull on that um, if, uh, you know, in the future you decide um, to go back in that direction. So uh, like, let's do it as a free sample and experiment. Let's not think far in the future. Let's just see you know, how your body's going to react to 21 days. In fact, there's a great resource called the 21 day kickstart program. It's at 21 day kickstart.org. It's completely free. Starts the first of every month. Um, and it's, uh, you do it as kind of a, 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 a social media group together. You get daily tips and recipes and advice 
um, and, you know, kind of support each other through this process. Um, it's in a bunch of different languages. Hundreds of thousands of people have done it. And again, it's just like, well, let's give it a try. Let's just see how it feels. Maybe it'll be easier. Maybe it'll be harder. And I tried it. And let's just, you know, but you can't know until you give it a try. And that's really what I'm encouraging people to do in the back of my mind, knowing sneakily that people tend to feel so good that they uh, stick to it or at least, you know, incorporate a lot more fruits and veggies in their diet and are going to benefit because of it. Okay. Can we talk about, I, I, I imagine there's something to sticking to it for 21 days. So can we talk about what some of the things, what, what might come up or occur that could, that could not feel good in those 21 days? Like, are you going to go through some stuff on your path to 21 days where you're like, I don't know if I can do this? Oh, absolutely. Particularly the first few days. I mean, that's really the hardest um, because of the craving. So, I mean, the, the processed food industry has basically numbed our palates with these hyper sweet, hyper salty, hyper fatty um, foods, you know, engineered. There's a career called taste engineers. That's all they do is create the kind of bliss point Dorito for people that they can't just eat one um, and really kind of hook into our evolutionary drives for salt and concentrated sources of calories. Um, that are making uh, people uh, sick these days. Uh, but there's a whole science to kind of hook people. And so when you start eating healthy foods, your palate is so keyed up, so numbed, that, you know, like the ripest peach in the world would taste sour after a bowl of Fruit Loops. Right. But what happens, this is the matter. And so the first day, it's like when, you know, as a, as a physician, I put a lot of people on low-salt diets for their blood pressure. And like the first day, everything tastes like cardboard. And people are thinking there is no way that, you know, I, I can go on a low salt diet the rest of my life. I like, I'd rather die early than have everything taste like that. But what they don't realize, something magic happens. And, you know, there's been very well studied, um, certainly in the salt reduction literature, where you have people salt soup to taste and, you know, like put in as much salt as you like to make the perfect soup, right? And then you put people on a low salt diet and you come back week after week and you have the salt soup to taste again. And eventually, and this may take six weeks, but in the end of six weeks, the initial soup that you salted the taste is actually too salty. You prefer lower salt soup. It's actually uncomfortable, the amount of salt. And so then you arrive at this best of both worlds. Your palate changes such that regular, normal foods taste delicious. So like, you know, a corn on the cob, no butter, no salt, tastes delectably good, cravingly good, like a simple sweet potato, a little, you know, you know, microwave soup with some cinnamon or something, right? I mean, people look at me eating something like that and they're like, oh, you know, pat me on the head and like, oh, it's great that you can live this kind of aesthetic monk lifestyle. I could never eat like that. But that's because you don't realize, you think that I'm, I'm like depriving myself of stuff, but no, it actually tastes delicious to me and it will to you too. If you can get past that hump where everything just does not taste good, then all of a sudden, simple, healthy foods start tasting better and better and soon you get to the best of both worlds well oh my god tastes great and you know i get to live longer that's the winning combination is what uh, plant-based eating is all about i i will uh testify to that i i recently was doing a cutting uh, an extreme cut kind of to for a photo shoot and and so salt was taken out of my diet for the last like couple of days and it was shockingly miserable like <laughs> you know i actually got yeah. depressed um and yeah. and i even don't try to have super flavorful food but you know when you i was cutting calories and so 
I think part of uh, my uh, way to deal with that was maybe increasing sodium a little bit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when I cut it out, it was kind of this horrible position I found myself in where I was hungry and now eating stuff that really didn't taste good. And right. uh, it, it really did take a few days. Now, I wound up getting really lightheaded and, and I sweat quite a bit. So I had to mm-hmm. – I was actually then told, no, you have to have – a little bit of sodium, but I didn't need table salt anymore. After mm. after just four days without salt, I could wow. You know, the food did the flavor did come back to the point where it was palatable. Great, which I found to be really wild. I've had the wow. same experience yeah. with fat too. When I cut fat out of my diet entirely, or va- down to like you know. 10% of my calories are from fat and basically I'm just getting that from a, a handful of oil pills that, uh, you know, I no longer uh, need the fattier cut of meat. You know, a chicken – I'm sorry to – I hope this doesn't offend you, but a chicken breast tastes fine whereas only a chicken thigh tasted good previous to that. Right. Right. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I And can, the same thing happens with added sugars too. People cut out sugar from their diet. But they have that same kind of magical reaction where eventually all of a sudden things get normal and get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And then all of a sudden, you know, just like eating a donut, it's just like sickly sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, you actually, and it's just like, oh, and you actually prefer healthier foods. I mean, that's really um, what we're going for. And so, and, and that's where the sustainability comes in. It's like, look, anyone can white knuckle a diet for a short amount of time, right? I mean, there's all these crazy diets out there. I mean, you can do it for a short time, but, you know, this is not about bikini season. This is about, you know, how you're going to eat for the rest of your life. So you're, you know, not struggling with your weight, not struggling with chronic disease and on down the list. Um, And it's like, okay, well, you know, how are you going to do it? Well, this is the way you can do it by, uh, you know, having your palate adapt to healthier foods. And then, you know, and then you're, you know, you're, you're living the dream, eating food that tastes good to you. And it's actually loving you back. And okay. And so if. If somebody starts down this path, you expect that 21 days they can get through whatever hell they've got to get through and come out the other side to feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling better. I mean, they're not going to accrue all the benefits. Right. It's like quitting smoking. I mean, within the first few days, you have all sorts of physiological benefits and the benefits just accrue with time. But yeah, within three weeks, you really have a sense of, all right, this is how my body feels eating this kind of food. And then look, it's just information for you. And then look, it's your body, your choice. You want to go smoke cigarettes, go bungee jumping, do whatever you want, right? But as a physician, all I can do is share with you, well, here's the research that suggests that, you know, people in your position that do X, Y, and Z, here's the predictable consequences of your actions, but only you can, you know, balance the risk versus benefits by saying, well, wait a second, is this sustainable for me? Can I actually do this? How do I feel on this diet? Give it a try um, and uh, see how you feel. What's the uh, what's the the place where the, it starts every month for free people can try this and get tips and it's, stuff? It's 21daykickstart.org. So that's just a 2-1-kickstart uh, – oh, no, day uh, – 2-1-d-a-y-k-i-c-k-s-t-a-r-t.org. Awesome. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, now the other thing I was really excited to talk to you about was the medicinal nature of food. We kind of went through the analogy of things are healthy compared to other things, but then 
I know you deal a lot with things that are actually uh, a net benefit. So not even that there's a, a healthier choice out there, but something that is actually helpful or going to increase your health in almost a medicinal way, which I find to be totally fascinating too. And not just, and this is not just like kind of, I mean, many of our drugs, many of our most powerful pharmaceutical drugs are actually derived from plants. So, I mean, this is not, I mean, this is where powerful substances come from. I mean, anyone who doubts the, you know, power of plants, I mean, there's, you know, there's these mushrooms that, you know, can kill you with this microscopic little amount, just drop you dead. This is powerful stuff we're messing with. Um, and uh, some can have, you know, the, these pharmacological effects. And uh, so, I mean, that carries it some risks. But, uh, yeah, people underestimate the power of food to affect the course of disease, not just preventing disease, but actually treating and reversing disease with um, various healthy foods. So, yes, yeah, not just kind of foods in general. Some there's some vegetables that are healthier than others, some fruits that are healthier than others. And so, and some have different benefits for different diseases. And uh, so, yeah, so that's why I can have thousands of videos um, on my site, just because there's so many uh, different foods that have so many different effects. And and are these are these things that have been like known about for a millennia that we have just kind of brushed away because the food industry has no use for them? It's hard to sell in that way, or you can make more money distilling it down and selling it as a drug with a patent? Yeah, ironically, many of these, you know, so-called new discoveries were indeed, you know, uh, you know, part of traditional medicine systems for thousands of years. So, for example, a Nobel Prize in medicine was granted to this anti-malarial drug, which is from some bark from some tree, which was, you know, in, you know, uh, ancient Chinese medicine. They were giving people this for um, malaria-like symptoms, you know, thousands of years ago. And only now it was so, quote-unquote, discovered. And the reason why many of these foods go untested and we just have these kind of traditional medical uses is because there's no profit to be made. You cannot patent Natural food, so something like turmeric, the spiced turmeric, you can't patent turmeric. It's available for, you know, a few, you know, pennies a serving. And so there's just no profit margin. You're not going to thrill your stockholders with something that you can't patent and, you know, is being sold for, you know, two or three cents a day. And so there's just no money to even research it. Now, we should not, you know, overblow, you know, traditional. I mean, things have to be put to the test. You can't just say, well, this has been used for thousands of years. I mean, there's, it's always, uh, you know, the, Traditional medicine was bloodletting blood people for hundreds of years. Many ancient medical systems used toxic heavy metals like mercury and lead and purport them to have beneficial effects. So just because something is like, well, they've used this for hundreds of years doesn't mean it's actually good for you. But it does I mean, well, look, well, look, maybe we should put it to the test. And when it has been put to the test, many of these uh, plants have just shown to have these remarkable beneficial effects. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just always assumed my mom was like a hippie. But I know as a kid, whenever I was sick, I was given garlic, raw garlic, and then occasionally garlic oil capsules or something and huh. yeah. vitamin C and stuff like that. And there was a lot of soup, um, you know, and, and I just like – now think about that kind of thing and and think it's very poo-pooed to kind of suggest somebody to even take vitamin C, which to me is just like, no, you, you get a cold, you take vitamin C. That's what you do. Um, but but there there's almost like a knock against that nowadays. 
Well, I mean, you are you had a smart mom. There's actually studies. We have randomized controlled studies with giving garlic in pediatric cases of pneumonia and show a significant improvement in outcomes. And you know, like when people have garlic breath, they assume it's just like garlic coming out of their mouth. But no, it's actually coming out of your lungs. When you eat garlic, it's broken down. Those um, garlic compounds are absorbed into your bloodstream, circulate throughout your body, and, and they volatilize in your lungs and are breathed out your lungs. If you stuck a macerated garlic clove up your butt, you'd get garlic breath because it's actually coming out of your lungs. And the, many of those the compounds have these antibacterial properties that actually improve pneumonia outcomes without causing antibiotic resistance. So yeah, garlic is one of those foods with medicinal benefits. But because it is so powerful, you would not, for example, want to um, macerate garlic, crush garlic, and put it topically on uh, your skin. People can wrap up crushed garlic onto the skin, can actually get serious burns because of that, particularly in infants. And so, you know, this is the foods are, you know, not to be uh, not to be taken lightly. You can certainly overdo some things. And so, uh, you know, we have this sense of like, a little bit is good. You know, <laughs> let's just, you know, eat mountains of stuff. And it can actually uh, can lead to some problems. So do your research. Yeah, I, I listen. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna solve everything in this very short talk or give anybody all the answers. Obviously, there's room now for people to go and look, and and you you are distributing a lot of this information. But I do think also something happened recently where you know some of these more natural naturopath or homeopath kind of things were kind of crapped on by science and then therefore stripped from the public discourse on social media or heavily knocked. And I don't know that that's totally fair. Well, look, some deserves to be knocked. I mean, I mean, you know, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen. There's a lot of money to be made in the health sphere. Why? Because you're exploiting people's fears. I mean, if you have a sick child, I mean, what wouldn't you pay to, you know, to have a chance to benefit? And so there are, you know, slimy people out there who want to prey on those on those fears. And that's why there's this industry of selling people all methods of crap. Boy, we saw it with all sorts of crazy covid cures, you know. Um, and so I'm all about the science. Look, let's put it to the test um, and actually see if something's beneficial or not. Um, uh, but, but and, you know, many times. When uh, when the science has come out against something, it's because it's not because there's some conspiracy against natural medicine. It's because this stuff really doesn't work or really could hurt people. And, you know, how can we make decisions? The most decisions in our life, the be the most important decisions in our life, like the, the ones that impact the health and well-being of ourselves and our family, but by the best available balance of evidence. Where does that come from? It comes from the peer reviewed medical literature. Does, are there problems there? Is there conflicts of interest? There's a lot of big pharma influence. Absolutely. But really, that's the best source of information until it's been put to the test in a good study. You know, you, uh, you, know, you don't want to rely on something when the, uh, you know, the consequences are so important. Awesome. And so where if somebody's looking for something natural and medicinal, where do they get that information of something that is peer reviewed and scientifically sound? So I would encourage people to – so they can check out my website, nutritionfacts.org. Uh, we run a nonprofit with thousands of – everything's free, thousands of free videos where I actually show the signs. I'm not just uh, – you know, it's not my – it's not anyone's opinion. It's just like here's the sign. Here's the papers. Here's, you know, hyperlinks. You can uh, – to all the sources. You can download, read it yourself. 
um, and just show the data and then may let people make up their own minds. If people are scientifically minded, if they have the, the chops to actually understand what's happening in the literature, then PubMed is the, that's the, uh, the, the database of the National Library of Medicine, largest medical library in the world. It's completely free. And you can go on there and you can search for anything and you can pull it up. I have instructions on my website on how to, um, uh, to, to, to get these articles for free. Um, and, uh, and then if anyone has difficulties like understanding something, you know, all my contact information is on my website. People can feel free to reach out to me to get the best available um, evidence to help them families. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. The, the, I've done pretty much every diet that's existed other than a, a truly plant-based diet. And I, and I am looking to try this out and I, and I will give it oh, at cool. least 21 days when I do. And, uh, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to do that. Hey, let me know if there's you know, anything I can do to help or you run into any problems or anything. There's some great resources out there. And uh, oh, I'm so excited to hear how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will keep everyone informed. And uh, and if you if you have the opportunity, if you can get blood drawn before and after, it'd be really interesting to see to to report on those results because you can just see some remarkable transformation. Yeah, I do I do blood work uh, three or four times a year, so I oh, will, I will okay. just make sure that um, that one of those I'll just do it an extra time. I'll do it right before oh, and I right after. It. I love it. Yeah, Can't yeah, I love it. looking at my blood. I, I I'm always fascinated with all the little indicators. Cool. Yeah. Doctor, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Hey, man, anytime, anything I do to help, just let me know. Yes, sir. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. I've been asked so many times to have a, uh, I mean, I I think the the verbiage is always a vegan advocate on, and, and that might be for ethical reasons, but Dr. Greger is as close to that as I could find that seemed to be um, super backed up uh, by scientific research. And so it was a blast to talk to him. I, I, I do still have two diets that I haven't done, and that would be carnivore, true carnivore, and true vegan, <laughs> kind of the uh, opposite sides of the spectrum there. And I am going to do both. I don't know when. I'm going to do both. I need to get to a place where I'm really happy with myself. So any kind of any changes that occur due to this diet, I'm okay with. Like if I'm giving up a little bit of muscle or something, you know, that scares me today. But I will get to a point where I'm going to be okay with that. Maybe I'll want to run a little bit further than I'm able to run right now. And so those will be the two diets that I've left to mess around with, carnivore and veganism which I don't know. I don't know. That'll be an experiment and I will keep you all fully up to date with how, how those go. But, uh, I, w- I was, uh, very happy to do- talk to Dr. Gregor and, um, hear his advocacy for a plant-based diet. I hope you enjoyed. And now for the Q and a Alex RC writes, As a father of two who works full-time, my only time to work out is very early in the morning, immediately after waking up. What protein would you recommend if I'm going to be lifting right after eating? I love lifting weights first thing in the morning. That's when I have the most energy, and I really only 
use whey protein in the morning. Unless there's going to be some real time between when I wake up and work out and I'm going to actually sit down, sit down and have a meal or not even sit down, stand up and have a meal or have a real meal of solid food, I prefer to just have some whey protein and water and do my workout and then eat afterwards. That is how I do it, Alex. Thank you for the question. Rand H. writes, Ethan, at the beginning of every podcast, your intro says food as fuel, food as entertainment, food as sport. While food is fuel and food is entertainment makes sense to me. I don't really understand the concept of food as sport. Are we talking about competitive eating? I would love to know more about this intriguing statement. Thanks for the question, Rand. Yeah, I guess competitive eating. I should I should do I want to do more episodes. You know, I had John and Vinny on, I've had Alan Hall on, but I spent a lot of time while dieting kind of obsessed with food and and cooking and techniques and going to weird random places all over the world to try stuff or to watch other people try stuff. I dragged my my wife and kids all over Europe to make them eat stuff that they did not want to eat. You know, I went to uh, I went to Beijing just to eat Lu Quan roast duck in an alley. My and took my wife. She she does not like duck, so I don't even know if the, that would constitute food as sport. But I did. You know, there's a an old uh, episode of Vice. And I, I don't know if it was munchies or, or what the hell it was, but me and and a couple other people and, and John and Vinny, who are these restaurateurs here in Los Angeles, did a, a, a night of, um, you know, borderline vomitorium style eating in Los Angeles a lot of years ago. And, and I would consider that food as sport. But I think it's more just, you know, not treating it as fuel I don't know why I said food is sport way back then. I'm kind of drawing a a blank, and thanks for calling me out on that. But sure, it could be competitive eating. It could just be the way I used to eat, which was to the point of oblivion. You know, my my cues to stop eating were were really uh, being incapacitated. Um, That's just where I got to with eating, and. And so, you know, if I ate every slice of pizza and was totally stuffed and had one slice of pizza left, I would feel some sort of shame or guilt at not getting that last slice in. I wouldn't be satisfied until I got that last slice in. And there's certainly some bit of competition wrapped up in there. I don't know if it's competition with myself. I don't know who the hell I was competing with, but, uh, you know... I guess that's what I think of when I think of food as sport. It's all these times that that I that I was dissatisfied with the amount that I had eaten because it wasn't enough, even though it was way too much, if that makes any sense at all. It doesn't really make sense to me as I say it to you, but that's how I'm rationalizing having said that. And to be honest with you, maybe it just sounded good to me at the time. Thank you for the question, Rand. I hadn't thought of that. If you have a question you would like me to answer on the show, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. 
I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>